Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am honored and thrilled to have Leslie Joan Lupo on the show. Leslie is an intuitive practitioner at Canyon Ranch for 23 years and is known internationally for her accuracy. A gifted healer, NLP specialist, and near-death experience, she has a unique and rare gift for explaining the science behind intuition and spiritual phenomenon. After being killed by a stampede of horses, her profound near-death experience resulted in her groundbreaking new book entitled, Remember Every Breath is Precious, Dying Taught Me How to Live. Leslie was born in Chicago and raised in a boisterous, tight-knit family. She attended college in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and graduated with a BA in psychology and a BFA in studio art. At the same time that she studied science, art, and psychology, Leslie reawakened her intuitive awareness and crossed paths with many inspirational teachers, including Native American medicine. Welcome to the program, Leslie. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you. Yes, I, you know, I was so excited to have you because um, we don't, I do some near-death experiences, but for the most part, um, you know, the stories have been told in a lot of different places, but yours is so, is just so profound, and I, your book is is just a page turner. I, I absolutely love the story. And I think it's so great you're sharing it with the world. You you told me that you actually share with clients at Canyon Ranch. Is that correct? Yes, there's some times when some of the lessons I learned or some part of the um, experience, they will relate to them. Right, right. And and so what kind of feedback do you get from from people? Oh, you know, it's really nice. I mean, I, I've had a couple of rotten eggs thrown at me because there are people that don't believe in them, even from the organized religions, which surprised me because so much of their teachings discuss an afterlife. You know, most of the feedback I've gotten with stacks of letters have been, I've been, um, they've been focusing on certain parts of the book that help them understand why we go through suffering and how we can evolve and better ourselves and have an inner healing. So a lot of people were very, very happy about that, that there are steps in the book to help you find this inner light that you have and inner love and self-love, you know, which is actually rooted in humility. Self-love is not conceit. So I've gotten lots feedback. 
Oh, that's that's fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about your your accident and your near death experience. I know that you were you were an atheist before this began or agnostic, one or the other. So so let's right just dive border. right in. Yes, yes, right on the border. And it was and it's true that spiritual path had very I left it a long time before. And the spiritual path had no interest in me. I was, you know, I'd had a BA in developmental psych, so I was very scientific mind. I liked to study physics. I studied chess. So I was a very logical person and no time for spirit anymore. Right. If had said to me, what happens after you die? I would have said nothing. It's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, you have a good life, you live, so what? I had no interest in that. And so I was going down to the hay barn to get a couple of horses that had run down with their saddles on. And in doing so, I got caught in a stampede of horses. And the interesting thing is I popped out of my body right before it happened. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is how everyone dies afterwards, because I first thought it was my mind that had popped out and I couldn't make sense of it. And then the stampede started and I watched myself fight for my life and scream and cry out. But I felt nothing. I felt serenity. I felt heart centered. I felt love and peace. And it was almost like taking off, you know, a jacket when you come home at night and you toss it on right. the bed. Can you tell, um, I'm just going to inter uh, interrupt for a second. Can you tell the listeners about what you were do? you know, your work then? Because, I mean, most people don't turn out where horses are stampeding. Okay. Can, so, so can you explain that a little bit? Yes. I was married at the time, and my husband owned a dude ranch, a really posh dude ranch in Tucson, Arizona. And I was working there. I, you know, we worked mm -hmm. side by so I was helping wranglers in that because one of the wranglers had been sent home because he wasn't feeling well. And so um, I jumped in the wrangling department to help out. And I've always been around horses. I love horses. So it was kind of a natural thing for me to do. Right. Okay. So the stampede began and go ahead and continue with your story. Well, if someone had watched me die they would have said she suffered horribly and yet like I said I didn't feel a thing and um when I looked at my body laying in the mud and the manure all I could do was giggle and I looked around the corral and I was astonished and I thought this is it this is what everyone is afraid of I'm still here I'm still thinking and all my senses were heightened. Everything was much richer looking. It's almost like in the human body, we're wrapped in a cotton batting that dulls our senses, our sense of sight, our sense of hearing. Everything smelled better. I mean, everything was just so wonderful. Ah, wow. And I know um, as this continued, you saw everyone starting to help you, but then you slowly met some other people. Right. What happened when they came in, the, the last ride came in and started to race over to help me. 
And Tucson just began to fade away. It wasn't like I was going in a tunnel like some people have talked about. It was more like um, Tucson just began to fade away and slowly in this kind of white fog, another world emerged. And it was a very thick oak forest with a lot of um, beautiful flowers and big ferns. And there was a little river behind me. Um, the, everything was so light. Everything was lit from within. There were no shadows anywhere. And the overwhelming sense of love I had was intoxicating. It was not just yeah. that love for everything I looked at. Everything I looked at loved me. And that was that selfless love, kind of like when you give someone a present and they open it up and then they look at you and they're like, oh, and you're, oh, I got the right present. You know, that little <laughs> that tickle in there. It's like head to toe, that kind of selfless love. So um, I began to just kind of look around and I looked at my hands and I did notice when I was down on earth that I had a very thin blue light, you know, like almost like the color blue that when you're flying in at night, when you see on the, on the runways, that kind of blue. Right. When I went, when I called upstairs, at first I called it upstairs, because even when I came back, I still didn't buy into heaven. So I would just always called it upstairs until I could make peace with, you know, what just happened to me. So uh, I also looked at my hands and, and they looked like I was in college again. They looked young, you know, and I was a woman. And the other, next thing I marveled at was the sense of, I had no idea where I was. I had no idea what was going to happen next. And I had zero fear. I had no fear at all. On, um, and I noticed that all that part of our brain that's related to that, what they call the animal brain or the reptilian brain, um, that fight or flight reflex was gone. And all I was was love. Wow. It's so difficult to describe because every time I try to describe it, it's always feeling as if it's lacking, you know? And some of the people I've met who have had near-death experiences say the same thing. It's like describing a photograph. It's like looking at a photo of the Grand Canyon instead of being at the Grand Canyon. You do the best mm -hmm. you can, but lose a little bit in translation. Yes. Yes, I've heard from many that it's just ineffable that you yes. just, it's something that just can't, can't be explained. It's like walking through cotton candy. The love is so tangible, you feel like you're dripping in, in sugar. <laughs> love that. So then what happened? Well, I had turned to my left and I saw a table and some people standing there quietly waiting. And I looked in that direction. Um, and when I approached the table, it's almost like, of me was in memory. Now, as electric and alert as I felt out of my body on earth, when I landed upstairs, I felt kind of groggy. Mm -hmm. And when you 
you don't move by walking like in a linear fashion. You just look at a place and you're there. And when you're talking, they start to, I might ask a question and within the first two or three words of their explanation, it's automatically downloaded. And most of the speaking was telepathic. But as I came up to the table, I recognized a couple of these light beings. And we all had that same, you know, beautiful kind of cobalty blue streaming off of us. And, um, but they weren't like see-through or anything like that. It was just the color. And everyone looked like they were college kids. You know, everyone looked about 20, 22 years old. Um, I noticed that there was a woman who is on my left side that I had seen often as a child. When I was really little, I could feel her and, and all of a sudden she'd be there and I felt such love coming, pouring out of her. Um, and I called her the blue lady because she had a very long blue dress on. But when I looked at her upstairs, Mina popped in to my mind, you know, telepathically. And then next to me was a man named, that came up as Timo. And he was not right next to me. He was actually after Rao, who sat next to me. But Timo is also someone that I would see um, on, on Earth. And um, he had like a scarlet shirt on. You know, almost looked like he had a, a ring of stars around his neck. And he had white hair. And it was kind of like a, a crew cut, you know, but brilliant white. And then Rao was sitting right next to me. And so the only two people that talked a lot, when I first sat, everyone was cheering and I heard a lot of voices saying, welcome home, you know, thank you for coming home and all this stuff. And um, then I was told that I had to make a choice, that apparently I had agreed, this is my soul group, and there's about 30 of us and 20 had come down on a particular mission and i was back now and um they asked me i was supposed to come back earlier but somehow my soul decided to stay because it loved the earth and now i have to make a decision i can stay because whatever contract i signed i filled a long time ago but i can go you know back if i choose and they showed me pictures of my children. And if I had decided then, as much as I loved my children, my son was one at the time and my daughter was three. But as much as I loved them, I wouldn't have budged. <laughs> wow. And she, I would just, it was so extraordinarily that, you know, you have such a longing. I think every human being in their cellular memory remembers heaven. And that's why we have such a longing to go back home again. Right, right. I've always had that longing since I was a little girl. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I just get this weird feeling, even though I'd be around all my family. And mm -hmm. I recognize it now as just, you know, just missing, missing home. Yeah. Inter interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I know you saw a live pre at some of your live review. Well, it wasn't exactly a life review because I didn't 
I think I would have gotten what I've read about in Life Review, I think it would have been more detailed. They were showing me pictures of my life on Earth, almost like to jog my memory because I was in such a fog. When I've read about a life review, they show you the good in, that you've done and the bad that you've done. Yes. To discuss, like, like I used to do, I used to teach chess in a grade school and after a game, sit down and we'd work out the game and we'd look at, it was kind of that. But I didn't have that. All they were doing, I think, was jogging my memory. If I had, I probably would have gone through a life review. But since I was kind of in a halfway place, you know, like the airport waiting for another flight, um, I think uh, I would have been gone through that afterwards. Wow. And, and when you talk about Mina and Timo, um, did you see them as a child um, as like invisible spirit friends or were they, they were actually people in your, in physical people in your life? They were, um, the first time I ever, my first memory, um, I can't say the first time because so many baby memories are not in our conscious mind. I saw Mina and I was planting flowers with my grandmother. And it was maybe, uh, no, the first time, I'm sorry, it was with Nona. And she was singing to me and Mina stood behind her, but her head almost touched the ceiling. She was just very tall. And Nona could see her because she would sing to me and then she'd look over my shoulder and I would, because I had turned around, well, who else is with us? And there's this blue lady for, you know, maybe a minute or two. And then she just, next time I turned around, she was gone. And I didn't think anything of it. I was about four or five. And then the next time I saw them was with my grandmother helping her plant flowers. She had a beautiful flower bed. And um, all of a sudden, there's one little section of flowers. Seemed like they came very alive, little pansies. And I could see feet, and I looked up, and there's blue lady again. You know? wow. And so I started chatting with her, and my grandmother thought, because my grandmother couldn't see her, and dragged me in the house and made me wear a hat and have something cool to drink and washed my face. I, I think she thought I was getting a little touched by the sun. So, um, and that was something I, I learned by the time I was six or seven that, and I didn't see them often, but it would either be like some really soft kind of glass chimes and, or just this overwhelming kind of in the world, everything kind of got a little faded, like I was turning down the volume and then suddenly one of them would be there. Most of the time it was Mina. And at one time, at a family Thanksgiving, which in a Sicilian family is like half the city of Chicago, was in our house. <laughs> and I went to get some seconds, and I saw T. And all of a sudden, I had just had that little feeling, and Timo was there. And I had closed the doors to the dining room to come through them. I just opened a door and you know closed the dining room door. So I thought that it began to open, and I was talking with Timo. And I just felt such love and I was dancing and just kind of spinning around. And I turned around and they were all watching me and they started laughing. So I got very embarrassed and I ran upstairs, you know, I was a child. And uh, my aunt came up with a little piece of pumpkin pie. She, they thought, because I had just seen the movie um, 
with Yul Brenner King and I, and they thought I was dancing, like just goofing off by myself. So she was explaining that, you know, it was not a big deal and don't, don't feel bad. And so I had kind of learned by then that not everyone could see them. And I just learned to keep that to myself. It's like you have yeah. this ability to sense or see the guides that are around us all the time. And so I kind of kept my mouth quiet about it. Right. Interesting. So, so tell us more. I know that um, you saw the, a mandala or a light and seeing other realms. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, um, this was really fascinating. When I was walking, one of the things that the group said was, why don't you meander around this realm a little bit to get grounded before you make a decision, which I'm very thankful for, because otherwise I would not be here. <laughs> my children, <laughs> no, I miss, would have missed my babies. Um, so I'm walking along and Rao and I are on this journey going to this beautiful cave under, under a waterfall that I would apparently visit because I had no, still no memories of upstairs. And I felt this overwhelming sense of, as much as I had felt, felt love all around me before, this would be like 10 times more. It was almost like I was being adored. And as I, I get so choked up when I talk about it because it's such an overwhelming memory, so easy to access. Um, and I looked up and there was this kind of pulse point. You know when you see pictures of a drop of water and the ripples that come out? Yeah. In the sky that was a circular. Um, and it was way up above me, and the sky was this amazing layers of cornflower blue. It wasn't kind of like one color like our skies are. It was like um, a pattern. And in the very center was this extraordinary consciousness that adored me, that knew me to my toenails. And just as I was, head to toe, not having to change or be better or, you know, fix your hair or anything right. me, adored me. And I felt like I could just fly up and merge. And in fact, um, Rao had to kind of keep me a little centered. And then I noticed as I was, there was patterns like these little feathery mandalas floating around and I could faintly hear song. Again, I felt like there was a veil and I couldn't quite see behind it. And Rao had explained to me, yes, you're not quite here yet. Um, and then I noticed as I, because I couldn't stop fe feeling that connection with what I call the divine or God or whatever, because that was the center of it all. Um, I noticed as I looked to the side and I was watching the mandalas that it was almost like a glass ceiling and I could see another realm above the one I was, I was in. Reminded me of like when you blow bubbles and you have a bubble, right. another bubble and another. And I, I asked Rawa and said, is there another realm? He said, oh yes, there are many. We go up and we go down. 
and you know, I have to say this upstairs when they tell you things like that, everything just makes sense. You go, okay, got it. Right. I have no idea what he meant here. I'm trying to go now. What was that all about? So it was just such an extraordinary. So there were other realms. And then when we went and looked over a cliff, there was a huge beach and it looked like the sand was like diamonds. Everything sparkles so much up there. Everything has that iridescence to it. And the people down there in these beautiful tents with these flags, kind of like a taupe or, you know, different yellow ochres, just beautiful. And then all you could see was ocean to the horizon. And then I noticed other realms again. I could see through the sky and there was movement on the other side. And so when sometimes when I talk with people, I talked to the lady one time, she said, all I want to do be a spark of light and I said then there's probably a realm in which everyone is just a spark of consciousness and flies around that's all she wanted I think that we're drawn instinctively to our realms because for me I grew up in Chicago I lived in Morocco for a couple years I lived in New Mexico I lived in Tucson now here but I'm always drawn to forests and rivers and that's the first thing that I saw when it emerged upstairs. Right. Interesting. And I know you talked about that you made an analogy of, of going to school. I mean, the different realms being a different grade that you, yes. that you go as you go and some become teachers and so on. Well, one of the things I noticed when I was moving around there was it was like I could see another little village about a mile away and then another on a hill, very small, I could see another village. And what I was told was that, that the young, those little pieces of fluff that were floating away was the incarnation of more consciousness, more souls were being added. And um, with that, the younger souls go to like pre-kindergarten or baby playgroup. And then you get into grade school and then you get into high school and college. And that the more carnations the soul has, the more it has the ability to choose their own lessons. Where And it, it reminded me of schooling, like when you're in kindergarten and first grade, you have to learn read and write and your, you know, mathematics. And then as right. you get to school and college, you branch off into things that you want to, to do. And then master's and PhD program would be for the older souls or the people that are free from the incarnation cycle that choose to come back. Wow, that is just so, uh, it's just so mind-blowing, you know, it must be, you've told your story so many times, but for people who, who hear this, and, and you're, you can tell it so in depth, and with such color, and passion, and sparkles. So let's talk a little bit about, I know that you were given the choice to come back or not. So I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit, because I know there was, you talked about in your book, some 
going back and forth with that. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you, you were given the choice to, to remember or not. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit? I'll, I'll talk about that first. Um, no, I shouldn't. I should talk about the choice to go back because <laughs> even though I love and adore my children and they were babies, I still was kind of sitting on the fence. And I remember mentioning this to Rao and saying, but they have a good father. And he said, yes, they do, you know, and they will survive if you don't go back, but he can't teach them some of the things that you know. And I was still kind of sitting on the fence, but at the end, we talked about a lot about life and earth and, you know, karma and how you pick your parents. And, and we did a lot of discussions on that. And then finally I said, yes, I would go back. And that's when it almost seemed like the reverse happened. Now it's as if, as if they're trying to talk me out of it. Um, and that's the first thing, you know, we talked about was the, the burden of coming back to earth and discussing what happened. Again, I'm upstairs, what burden, you know, and it's going to take you, first of all, years, you had a very bad injury, it's going to take you years to get everything put together again, and your new life, and what's that going to be, you have to go back basically and reinvent yourself, and I'm like, well, pished, you know, you're in infinite, you know, infinity, you're like, what's a few years, Um, oh, uh, and so that's when they said, do you want to remember? And I wonder if more people are asked that, that don't remember and say no. But I said, and they pointed out it would be very isolating. That's what they said. It would, it would isolate me quite a bit if I remember. But it would be so much ben- more beneficial for raising consciousness if I did. Yes. And so I I said, yes. And again, none of my decisions were like, snap, yes, I'll do it, you know, because I wanted to resonate with it. And when we were discussing things, there was a couple of times when we had to stop the discussions simply because I was, um, I was almost overwhelmed because it was coming in too fast. And then um, I made the decision, and I then also made the decision to keep the memory, not uh, release it. Wow. And, you know, just knowing how much you adore, I mean, we love our kids more than life itself, right? And I remember, yeah, Dr. Neil, Mary Neil said the same thing when she had had her near death. She had four babies at home. Mm-hmm. And she said, but in that realm, you you knew they would be okay. Yes. And you'd still be with them, you know, with them and there. And that she did not want to come back. And it's it's so hard for our brains on earth to, to comprehend, but that just speaks so incredibly loudly, oh, you know. Yeah. I was talking to one of the heads of IAMS, and she was sharing with me that about, I think she said about, um, of the people that cross over to a totally different realm, about 75 or 80% of them are, are never given the choice. 
and they just kind of get pushed. And in that, they, there tends to be that kind of sense of, oh, no, you know, and, and they try to gently let them know it's not your time yet. Right, right. I know you also said that, um, talked about everyone you found out chooses their own curriculum and that the theme of reincarnation kept, kept coming, coming to you and your, and your not the knowledge that you were given there. Yes. And that, that, um, the choices, again, as you get to be an older soul, you have more choice of what you do, what curriculum. That's why I don't call it karma. I call it curriculum because I never right. sense that any soul is forced to come down here. Like in, in some of the teachings, in some in, of the teachings in reincarnation, they stress that you have to come down and you're praying to get off the wheel of reincarnation. Yet the sense I got upstairs was that everyone that comes down is coming down to learn. And that learning is as joyous upstairs and growth as vacation time is down here. And that's yeah. the, the, the interesting thing is that um, learning is, is something everybody strives for. I'd say to me, the most important in, uh, image that I got was, was growth. Everything is growing. Everything is growing on earth. Everything's growing in the universe. Everything's growing in heaven. That heaven continues to grow as souls continue to evolve and that there's no end to the evolution. It was kind of like I had to come back and really reevaluate my consciousness towards perfection. I mean, if you were perfect, you'd have nothing left to learn. I don't know if I'd like that. Yeah, I, I love yeah. learning. I want to learn and grow until I die and then come back again and learn a grow until I die, you know? Right. I think that younger souls are, I didn't get the sense that I was being coerced into coming back. I got a very strong sense that it was my decision. And, and that was good. That was good. Wow. I know um, Raymond Moody talks about George Ritchie and his, his near-death experience. And um, he said, George Ritchie said it was like, Caltech and MIT and Penn and Harvard and <laughs> all these all these um, universities just put together up there and it's just oh, all yes. about yeah. learning yeah which is so <laughs> so exciting so how so Leslie wow how has I I know it was really difficult for you for many years when you came back and you and you did feel isolated I know and even got kicked out of the spiritual group, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, yeah. So, but now this is a big part of your life. You're sharing and, oh my gosh, you're just helping so many people understand. And so just tell us, we have to wrap it up, but tell us a little bit, this isn't really fair. I say we have to wrap it up and I'm going to ask you how your life has changed. So forget the wrapping it up. <laughs> how, how do you live your life differently now? Um, in a nutshell, I'm very, very conscious of um, the fact that we have our inner divinity and I'm conscious that we have everything we need. So when they say those 
statements that sometimes people like want to pull their hair out. The answer is within. It really truly is. And to me, the key is self-love. And like not yes. the conceited, arrogant, vain kind that you see in a lot of entitled people in the news or in the movies or whatever. In reality, self-love is very humbling. Self-confidence is very humbling because then your self, your your focusing on your inner self, your character. So people who have high integrity, people that are doing what they can to help others, people that are doing what they can to learn and better themselves, to control their impulses, control their anger, learn how to forgive. And then the final one is learning how to self-forgive. Because you're going to make mistakes until you die. That's how humans learn. That's our wiring of our brain is and error. And again, when we're children, we look at adults or people 30 years old or more, and we say, oh my gosh, they're perfect. And then we get to be 35. And in psychology, we call that young adult. And that's when you first realize, I don't know squat. I don't know a whole lot, you know? And then when you get to be 55, that's like when you really start. Because if you're on that developmental psychology curve correctly, by your mid-50s, you're beginning to realize, I don't have to be perfect. And I'm going to learn and grow until I die and better myself every day. And just being the best person you can be. That's beautiful. So I, I know a quote, um, the number one goal of divine is growth and connection. As we evolve, our power not only transforms us, it changes others. Beautiful. And that's so true. A light, you know, being a light in the world um, awakens others and can transform others too. And it's so much like that ripple effect. And, and speaking of child, um, that childlike source. I mean, we're all still that, we all are still that inner child, yes. you know, and if we can just get back to that. Yeah. yeah. So, so Leslie, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? And of course, my this webpage. will all be in the show notes. Right. Okay. My webpage is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, LeslieJoanLupo.com. Great. And we'll have a cover of your book on the show notes and listeners run out and get this book because it is just, we touched on some things here, but it's, it's just an amazing story. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, and you have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.